So a standoff between protesters and the federal government in Ottawa caught in the middle, as we heard from our last guest, a small business owner who owns a barbershop right off Parliament Hill, the people and business owners of Ottawa. And now reports from police there, they expect that blockade in Ottawa to grow over the weekend and the protests to expand with others planned in cities such as Toronto, Victoria and Quebec City over the weekend. Today, Ontario Premier Doug Ford told Hamilton's AM 900 CHML that truckers were welcome to protest if they wanted to. We live in a democracy. If people want to come down and, and protest, God bless them. I, I understand their, their frustration. I, I really do. Toronto Mayor John Tory was a little less enthusiastic, saying police and city staff must do, quote, everything we can to prevent a similar blockade to Ottawa's, especially with the legislature there, Queen's Park, so close to the city's major hospitals. And in Quebec City, another protest plan, Quebec Premier Francois Legault, is also calming, calling for calm. And like I said, I have no problem seeing people uh, uh, in the streets saying whatever they want, but I want to see normal life being uh, possible. Uh, and it's, it includes uh, having children going to the Carnaval de Quebec. All right. So both premiers, they're sounding somewhat different, but also no doubt hoping that this all works out for them. So how should authorities and government be weighing the rights of the people they're paid to serve versus the right to protest? And what is the appropriate response? Is there one? Joining me now from Ottawa to look into this further is University of Ottawa criminologist, Michael Kempa. Welcome, Michael. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Uh, so we're tonight, I wanted to start with something that, that we've just been seeing. Uh, we're tonight that the public safety minister has approved a request for more RCMP officers to support Ottawa police. Do you think that'll have a big impact? Well, indeed I do. And we all saw it coming. Uh, us, those of us in Ottawa who, who've been paying careful attention. Um, the main thing is that as protests rage on, the police generally work by sort of putting a little bit of a wall around it, sealing it off allowing the worst to fizzle out, and as it starts to dwindle, going into more aggressively police public safety measures. And to do that, the Ottawa police will need more manpower, and that's what the RCMP will provide. I mean, how would you assess the response of police or authorities in general to what's unfolded in Ottawa since last Friday? Overall, how would you, how would you assess it? It's been confusing for a lot of citizens, but I would say, knowing what I know about legal frameworks around public order policing, it's been almost a textbook response for what the police in Ontario have been told to do since the disastrous public order policing of the G20 protests in 2020. So everyone remembers the big economic summit in 2020, the Toronto police aggressively took back the streets of Toronto, kettled protesters. There were lawsuits against the city and the police in Toronto. Tens of millions of dollars paid out. Critical reports. The new approach has been to say the police have got to basically cordon major protests off, intervene when there are major violent or property crime acts, allow the thing to fizzle out, and when they've got numbers, superiority, and the resources in place, go in and clear the streets. And that's exactly what it seems that we're doing this time around. Yeah, lots of lessons learned from that 2010 G20 in Toronto, for sure. No kidding, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, everyone has the right to protest and the right to assemble and express views. But where does that, where does that right to protest and make noise end and you know, citizens' rights begin. And I think you just explained it to some extent, but I think there's a lot of confusion within the population about where those rights begin and end. 
Well, that's it. And this is the tricky business in a democracy is that there isn't a precise professor's formula I can give you. I mean, most protests are on some level a little bit illegal. Like very rarely do we have permits, proper permits for marching through the street. But nevertheless, even though it's a little bit illegal, it's acceptable in a democracy. We say that this is all right. It's our right to assemble, to express our views, and the police are supposed to tolerate it. But at a certain point, you start shifting away from expressing your views in public space, albeit maybe in a in a very loud and potentially annoying way, into an occupation of land that prevents citizens from going about their daily business, much of which is essential in grocery shopping, going to the pharmacy, etc., and refusing to leave until your political demands are met, that's not the expression of ideas, that's extortion. And that is where you cross the line. I'm back with Michael Kemper, criminologist at the University of Ottawa. We've been talking about how authorities have responded to the blockade in Ottawa so far. Michael calling it textbook within the lessons learned following the police response to the G20 protests in Toronto back in 2010. And speaking of Toronto, a protest planned there for this weekend in, you know, to support the one going on in Ottawa. Uh, Premier Doug Ford seemed to welcome truckers to Queen's Park. But um, can something similar to what's happening in Ottawa be prevented in advance, I, I suppose, would be the big question tonight, Michael. That's the difficulty. You cannot, under the Charter, prevent people from coming into your city before they've done anything wrong. Um, Unless you were able to prove something like a conspiracy to commit a specific crime, but we simply don't have that on a convoy of thousands of people potentially coming into the city. They simply can't stop them. We do have the right to freely assemble. We do have the right to freedom of expression. As I say, it only becomes a problem when you occupy space for a certain duration of time that the public will not tolerate. It's not a specific number of days. And you refuse to leave until your political demands are met. That's not expression. That's extortion. You know, I've been to protest breakups in places like Moscow and Istanbul where things are a little less genteel. And I wouldn't recommend that, obviously, for, for here. And I know people are frustrated, but, uh, you know, authoritarianism is one of those things that you don't really recognize what it is till you're face to face with it if you grow up in a country like Canada. Um, you've mentioned this before, but really in, for police here, the main objective is to avoid a confrontation. Yes, absolutely. And there's good reason for it in that what we're dealing with here is far more complicated than some sort of ragtag group of people who are upset with with vaccine mandates. Um, We have essentially got a rolling program for political rallies disguised as protests across Canada that are designed to drum up support for some form of political movement that's also raising money for objectives that we are not entirely sure of. So you can be certain that the police services, RCMP and CSIS are trying to figure out exactly what it is the organizers have in mind. And when you're looking for motives, you follow the money trail. What is this money being raised for? And what will it ultimately be spent on? My guess, as fair comment based on historical precedent, is that it will go towards funding election campaigns for alternative candidates across Canada. That brings me to what was said, because I really wanted to ask you about this being in Ottawa. I know you were watching what uh, what the police chief there had to say yesterday, and it was a very interesting comment that he brought up about um, a, quote, significant element, 
from the U.S. involved with funding and planning this event. Um, this appears to be very coordinated and perhaps in a way that that caught authorities in Ottawa, certainly, off guard. Yes. There, there is a group of people behind these protests that are very organized and very sophisticated. They know what they're doing in terms of organizing a political movement. Now, on top of that layer of very coordinated um, and, and smart and savvy political operators, there is a huge number of very angry, very frustrated people. Um, we've heard them referred to here in Ottawa as the honker class because they're here in town, they're angry, they're honking, they don't really know why they're here. But there is a battle to align these people, get them behind a political movement, and critically get their wallets to fund a political movement. And I have to say, the left and the conventional state and all of that is as much to blame for the generation of these people because we've let them down. That's why they're so angry. Agreed. I mean, and I know there's been a lot of talk, this is a lot of talk out there just about reaction, police intervention in different kinds of protests. Um, you know, that, that there has been suggestions that the police have been harder, for instance, or at least more aggressive when it came to, say, protests against pipelines or protests against mm. old growth, you know, protecting old growth forests. From a criminologist's point of view, from the charter point of view, how do you see that? Well, they have been harder on whether we're talking about racialized protests, people advocating for rights of either uh, black lives in, in North America or Canada or indigenous issues. And part of the reason is it's because the police could be harder because the numbers have been much smaller and the, the possession of heavy machinery has been far lesser in these types of protests. So just because the police were capable of overpowering that form of protest, they have. Now, what I'm saying is, since they were not capable of overpowering the so-called trucker protests this time around, given number, eight to 12,000 people in the streets of Ottawa last weekend with you know, hundreds of heavy trucks and other types of farm machinery and other fantastical machines, the police couldn't overpower it. So they actually did what they were supposed to do, which is cordon things off and, and hope for things to cool down and respond only to serious forms of crime. I'm saying if we can do that for the 12,000, we should do that for the dozen or hundred or even thousand of other forms of protesters that get together. Yes, it may be annoying, but as long as it's not an, a long-term occupation that amounts to extortion, let them have their protest in the same way we did this time around. A last question to you, Michael Kempa. Where does this go from here, do you think, at least in the short term? I, I know the police chief again in Ottawa yesterday talked about more people coming. Um, to, to reinforce or to at least bolster the, the existing blockade in Ottawa. Where do you think this goes in the short term? I understand people who say, well, let's be very careful. Let's not uh, aggravate the protesters for fear that they may become violent, you know, almost like an appeasement strategy in a way. And I have sympathy for that sort of sentiment. But I would say, based on what I think the intentions of the political movement behind that are driving these protesters are, they will not be appeased. They will, it, it will require a significant police and even potentially military response that is then followed by a political response to win over the hearts and minds of what I mentioned as the so-called honker class. All of these angry people are going to go somewhere. And if the state doesn't have an answer for them, they will go to the populist movement. 
Ottawa police are meant to have a press conference tomorrow to announce some more measures, so we'll see what happens there. But uh, thank you so much, uh, Michael Kempa, for your time and for your insight on this. That's a pleasure. Thank you very much.